0: Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. If you want to listen live, all you have to do is download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Also, if you want to catch
1: this show on video, be sure to check out Zumo TV, channel 719. That's where you can find Sports Grid's Fantasy Sports Network. Enjoy the show, and thanks so much for listening. Welcome back, hour two of Fantasy Sports Today. Craig, Miss, Joe, Pizafia. It's June 15th, Monday, 2020. Hopefully, you had a good weekend. Hopefully, you you enjoyed that great documentary last night, the Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa. Joe and I will talk more about that on tomorrow's show. Uh, we're basically waiting essentially today, Joe, from word for Major League Baseball to see what the commissioner decides to implement. And as of doing the show uh, this morning, this afternoon, we don't have clarity on that. And that will be something that we'll bring back to the show tomorrow. We're all just kind of anticipating and waiting. I know that it is really unfortunate because a lot of the people who (laughs) watch me here on SportsGrid are watching for baseball in particular, and and I wish that I could have had more to deliver in terms of reality and fantasy, but that's just sort of what we're forced with now. I would tell you this for those people that are watching. While I do tend to believe that overall in baseball, when it uh, pertains to free agency and teams and players and contracts and signings, that I do know a lot more than the average person. That is for sure, I and mean, that's undeniable. I do, and I cover the game. As it pertains to this back and forth, the only people that know exactly what are going on are the owners and the players. We as media are simply communicating after the fact, as you can mm. see how this is playing out.
0: Yeah, well, we've given you a lot of baseball so far in the show today. I mean, it hasn't been all the baseball people wanted, But it's been some interesting discussions, including in hour one, obviously, the discussion about what 50 games of last season looked like and what the landscape was. Obviously, not so good for the the defending champions. But for the rest of Major League Baseball, it was a pretty, I would say, 75% clear picture of what we ended up with towards the end of the season. And that's, I think, just something to digest for those people who want to call a 50-game season illegitimate. I don't think it would be illegitimate. It would just wouldn't be as legitimate as 162 because that's how teams are built. They're built for long haul systems, organizations, everything. Roster construction is built for a different game than a 50 game season. If it was a 50 game season, you'd be building teams differently. So I think that's the difference, but overall it was certainly, I think very instructive for us to kind of take a look at it and see what we got. But I want to do some more baseball here because we have Mr. Baseball with us. We have Craig Mish with us. Who a lot of people will call Mr. Marlin. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Mr. Marlin himself.
1: Listen, do, do, Jeff Conine. Please don't. Well,
0: it's yeah. Jeff. I always think of it as like it's Jeff Conine, Craig Mish, and then the actual Marlin mascot. Like I think that's the three guys where I think of the Marlins. Billy the Marlin. Billy the Marlin is the third guy there. You put him up there. I'm waiting for your jersey to get retired, but I thought it'd be fun to do a little Marlins trivia and uh kind of shake okay. the dust loose because I feel like. Eventually, you're going to have to go back to work here with the Marlins thing, and you're going to have to get back in there. And I want to kind of jog some memories for you. So are you ready to play uh, a little a Marlins trivia and yeah, see where you're Yeah, sure.
1: Let's give it a shot. Why Even not?
0: after you forgot that Tom Seaver played for the Mets earlier? <clears throat> yeah,
1: that was bad. Yeah, by the way, I wanted to mention in terms of everything that we just <laughs> talked about as far as, uh, you know, the baseball discussion, where we stand on some of these issues Uh, Remember, the show is two hours. If you're just tuning in now, you can catch our on-demand version of the show over on our YouTube channel, Sports Grid. So make sure you head on over there after this show. I know that most people don't watch all two hours of a show. And if you don't, and you're like one of those people that consume things in little pieces of time, head on over to our YouTube channel at Sports Grid and you can watch the remainder of of the beginning of our show.
0: Okay, Uh go go ahead. All right, so Marlins, let's trivia it up. Inside the mind of Craig Mish, and let's see what we've got here. Um, This is a two-part question, this first one. In 2008, Craig Mish, the Florida Marlins became the first team in Major League history whose four infielders all Mm -hmm. hit 25 home runs. Who was the second baseman of that team, part one?
1: The first baseman was Mike Jacobs. The second baseman oh, was Dan Ugla. The shortstop was Henry oh. Ramirez, and the third baseman was Jorge Cantu.
0: Oh my good! I was going to ask you the part two and to name the rest of them. Whoa, whoa. Easy. whoa, too easy. You gotta,
1: you gotta get tougher than that, right?
0: Uh, all right, <clears throat> this is this, all right. You've thrown down the gauntlet here. Okay. I mean, I'm uh, team you know i know i know, mean, I know. well but it was unfair. 2008 it was 12 years ago so i don't and know i'm what still
1: covering figure. the team at that time you know you gotta i mean but but again listen there could be some things that would slip uh, by me for sure and by the way by covering the team there were a couple of years that i w- that i wasn't going to every game i you know had whether it was uh on satellite radio I, for whatever reason there was like a gap of years where instead of going to let's say covering 40 home games i would go to 10 or 8 or something like mm-hmm. that so it's possible that
0: i could have missed some all time. right <clears throat> How many games did Cookie Rojas manage for the Marlins? I'll give you multiple choice. Rojas. Was it 10, uh-huh. five, one, or zero? Cookie Rojas, how many games was he manager? Of I don't the I Cardinals?
1: don't. I mean, you brought it up. So, you know, it's a multiple choice question. It's gotta be more than zero. So what what was the other
0: choices again? One, five, or 10?
1: I'd say one.
0: That is correct. Craig Mish with the number one. Cookie Rojas, also named as Octavio, by the way, real name, Octavio Rojas, uh, managed the Marlins for one game in 1996. He won his oh, only tough. game as Marlins manager. So that's that's pretty good, right? Not bad. Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, really good. All right, let's, let's get a little harder here. I don't think you're gonna get this one, but we'll see. This is, this is way back machine, so I don't know. Who started a majority of the Marlins games at second base during their first season in 1993. Now this might've been before you were covering them, but if you are Can Mr. Marlin.
1: Okay, I'm gonna say it was Brett Barbary.
0: That is, is impressive. That, right? that is impressive. You are correct. It is Brett Barbary. Wow. A okay. uh, little known Brett Barbary was also the double play tandem better known with Walt Weiss. That's right. Uh, 97 games he played for the Marlins and hit 27. He, he was
1: also engaged or married to someone uh, very, very popular at the time in sports. You'd have to go back, you'd Google that one. All right,
0: now this this is Marlin slash All-Star trivia, so we'll see how this one, this might be a little difficult, but we'll try. Who did Dontre Willis replace on the All-Star roster in 2003? Wow. <laughs> okay. Well, but we talked about the Dontre Willis phenomenon, so I'm curious if No, if I he,
1: know, but who, what- I will give you a hint. Did he replace?
0: I, I will give you a hint. This pitcher on this very program earlier last week, we were discussing as a great pitcher who played for a lot of different teams, and maybe when Kevin, you go back Kevin and look, Brown? Kevin Brown. That is correct. So you got it with a little I, hint. I
1: wouldn't have I wouldn't have guessed it without a hint, though. To be fair, I would not have guessed that. Yeah, that's, that's a very that's a very tough
0: one. It's a tough one. Well, I mean, geez, you were crushing these first guys. Yeah, I yeah you Barber- know, I got the easy ones. Hey, listen, I thought Brett Barbary was tough, but you know, geez, like that is. Whew. All right. Uh, in two thousand three, everybody knows that the. You know, MVP of the World Series was Beckett. But who was the MVP of the NLCS that year for the Marlins?
1: 2003 NLCS. Ooh, good one. Um, it was not Josh Beckett.
0: That's why <laughs> I will tell you that. So was it Pudge? It was indeed. Very well <laughs> done. Excellent. There you go. Well done. Uh, boy, oh boy. Can't. Yeah, that great moment of him holding the ball. That's one of the great now, That,
1: that actually was not the NLCS, if I'm not mistaken. Oh,
0: was it? That was no. The, I think oh, that, that was the,
1: the first round against the oh, Giants. Oh,
0: that was the it DS is. against the Giants. Yeah, no, nope, that was the it DS against is. the Giants. You're absolutely right.
1: You're absolutely yeah. right. It was.
0: All right. Why
1: I remembered it because they didn't give that award during that time, but they did in the NLCS, and then Pudge ended up winning that one. Win. Yvonne Rodriguez, by the way, for those people who don't
0: know. <laughs> All right. Who was the oldest player on the Marlins in 1997 for that other run?
1: 1997. There's
0: a lot of older players on that team.
1: I will go. Ooh, tough one. I will go with Darren Dalton.
0: Ooh, he was actually the second oldest. Mm, Very close. So I don't know if that. So.
1: Somebody who must have retired
0: right after. He was older. Uh, Dalton was thirty-five. Benia and Cangelosi were thirty-four.
1: Yeah. Okay. So Cangelosi would have been my one other guy who was the older guy. Jim Eisenreich. Yeah, Jim Eisen. I thought he played after the Marlins a couple years too. That's why I didn't guess him. But that's a good one. Good. I'm glad I got one wrong. It was really embarrassing.
0: I really wanted
1: to get one wrong.
0: Why? So people complain that you go out. I think that means you do I mean, good at your job.
1: I have no life. Like I mean, all, like, I don't. I don't want to be known as the one who gets everything right about the
0: game. Hey, like, i want the to guy. Get- Look, if, if if you're covering this team, this is Craig Mish professional right here. That's that's what we're doing. All right, let's do this one here. What former Pittsburgh Pirate led, and that's the, the key little hint here for you, led the Marlins in home runs during their inaugural nineteen ninety-three season. So let's go back to the Brett Barbary days. What former Pittsburgh Pirate led the nineteen ninety-three Marlins in home runs? Craig Mish. Do you know who this might be?
1: Was it Arrestus
0: Destrade? It was my god, you are back in the dork column. You are, you are officially now have no life. You've got re- arrested. To get that. Uh, he had also a brief stints with the Pirates, the New York Yankees, and let's not forget, led the Marlins' lackluster offense with how many home runs that year? You want to take not a guess? A not a lot. Uh, was it less than 20? It was exactly 20. 20 led, led the Marlins there. I so even said
1: the number there, too. <laughs> uh, little little known fact, I used to work for a, a terrestrial radio station uh-huh. in Miami that was partially owned by uh, Arrestus Distrata. The station was a complete disaster, and within two years it was gone. Uh, but regardless of that fact, uh, they thought it would be a really good idea to do a live—no video, because it's radio— Audio surgery on Arrestus Destrade having late LASIK surgery on his eyes. They conducted a one hour LASIK surgery live on air (laughs) uh, on Arrestus Destrade, basically saying the whole time, Wow, I can see, I can see, it's amazing. I mean, it was. You talk about the worst radio of all time i give you that nothing wow. no, nothing has come close in my career for that Whew,
0: that's 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 pretty low anything that's see a low, point. Anything,
1: that's that's a, not that's a low point i'm
0: not gonna i'm not gonna lie for you that's definitely wow. a low point okay uh in 2003 the marlins won the world series uh, well, actually, no, that's too easy. Let's let's try to end on a tougher one here. Uh, I don't like that one. Uh, all right, here we go. One two. more tough one now, but because the easy ones are just if they're cake for you, when Jack McKeon took over the Marlins midseason, yeah, what position were they in in the National League East? Were they third, second, fourth, or last?
1: Uh, I don't think they were last. Uh, I'm gonna say the, the choices are what again. I'm sorry,
0: third, second, last or fourth fourth you are correct craig mish another one on the board for craig we need a tally i hope we got like a little little box going with a big tally there for you that's uh some impressive stuff there with you arrestus destrata is the one like brett barbary arrestus destrata jim eisenreich those are ones that i haven't uh i really thought of in a long time some of those names there but uh but you did it, man. I'm. I'm brand- yeah, I mean, remember, remember,
1: you know, back '93, '94, '95, '96, '97, even to a degree. Remember those years are, uh, you know, high school years for me, and I'm personally moved. You know, I have moved from South Flor, uh, from Brooklyn to South Florida, and I don't have any baseball here outside of spring training for 20 years. So you can only imagine, as anybody who is a baseball fan back when in those days when baseball was essentially the primary sport for everyone. Um, in South Florida to be a to be a baseball fan playing little league and then playing high school and all that like wow we have a team you know so all of those memories are sharp with me you know like who they got the first team the first players they did this whole tour around South Florida Barbary DeStrade all those guys who were Benito yeah. Santiago all the guys who were on uh, those teams Charlie Huff uh, so I do remember a lot about that history because then I was for I'm still formulating my fandom at that sure. time I'm not in the media and you know everyone's buying season tickets there at the time we have so if a,
0: i asked you who led the marlins last year at home runs it might be harder to answer than than arrestus distrada <laughs> um no because i was there too but there are some <laughs> but there
1: are some pockets of years in there that sure. i probably wouldn't wouldn't be as, as sharp on uh all right coming up next we go from baseball to a little fantasy football some undervalued adp players don't go away
2: SportsGrid.com, betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering, real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.
1: Before you know it, it'll be July 15th, and NFL training camps will hypothetically open, although they've been a little cagey on exact dates. I know that for me it certainly was interesting in the past. and you know the first uh, rite of passage for me for football every year, it's always interesting is that um, my my kids go to school uh, right, I mean, I don't even know if it's 10 feet, Joe, but right exactly where the Miami Dolphins have their training facility. like it is it is there. like I park and every every day when I would pick up my kids from camp, what I would try to do is get there like 10 minutes early and just walk over. And I'm not getting anything out of this, keep in mind. But it's just like to see just, oh, like there's this player playing. you could literally just watch camp. And I would do that every day just to check it out. I would bring no content, nothing to shows. It's just being there. Uh, and that's that's always when my the first part of me would get a little bit of excited for football because they'd be on the field, they'd be in pads, and, uh, you know, i pick up my kids, I don't know, like 3 o'clock. I'd go over there around 2, 2.30. They're, you know, finishing up, walking off the field. And then I'm like, okay, um, you know, we're here. We're in July. And I think that that's the awareness, I think, that for most people. I know that certainly people are playing, uh, as you mentioned, in best ball tournaments, no question. Um, that That's probably going to be more of a focus than ever this summer with the nature of everything that's happening in sports. But a month from now is really normally when we start to have things happen we, at this point, are very unclear uh, what training camp will look like. I would highly doubt that there'll be any fans allowed to go to training camp this year, although stranger things have happened. But it is sort of time over the next month to roll out what some of the opinions uh, people may have of Fantasy for yourself and the Fantasy mm-hmm. Black Book and some other people in the industry as well.
0: Yeah, and as the weeks go on, we're going to have some people on here, some uh, some of the co-writers of the fantasy black book. People like Adam Ronis will be on and a few other people as well. But uh, what I've seen so far from a lot of my readers are people, uh, not just best ball, but people are just preparing earlier. Uh, They're looking at this as a time where, hey, I've got more time than I normally have. I can't go anywhere I might as well start my prep season a little earlier, and that's that's good for me as far as I'm concerned. I want all those people out there getting their black book, getting ready for their season. But I've also gotten a lot of questions, of a lot of players, and also people asking me already on a lot of different shows what do you see so far when you look at the board, and where's some value on the board? And I think that's always a good thing to recognize because there are a lot of drafts that do happen early. We've got Scott Fishbowl uh, coming up in just a few weeks, which is kind of, I always feel like that inaugural you know that does
1: feel like the first one now yeah it's like the
0: first thing and that's in the what the second week of july i think it's like right after the fourth basically so yeah i, I
1: I've, you know people have asked me why i don't do that and i've I've just never taken the initiative to <laughs> to, to get it to, and, well, and i reckon and i recognize that a lot of people love it and it's yeah. fun and a lot of people are interested in it and by the way he does a fantastic job Scott as far work. as philanthropy is concerned and and i follow him on twitter and he follows me and all of that um, I, I simply have just never, you know, taken the initiative oh. to just say, hey, I want to be in it. Uh, maybe, maybe one year I will be, but usually July is still a pretty heavy time for me.
0: Well, I think that's why uh, well, you don't I'm
1: at the all-star game or or the you know, or or, or covering baseball at that time. But anyway, yeah. you're you're why- right. I, I would agree with that.
0: And I think that a lot of people, you know, look at that not only as the the kickoff of it, but also you talk about the great things for those who don't know what Scott Fishbowl is. It's a big giant, it's got thousands of people in it. And it's uh, basically – it helps raise money for Toys for Tots, which is fantastic. So, I mean, I think the first year they went from like $8,000, and I think last year was like $40,000 that they raised. It's crazy. Everybody chips in, and during that week, I run a special in the Black Book, too, where we donate a a section of proceeds. We've raised almost $1,000 for Toys for Tots just from Black Book alone during that week. So it's incredible, like – The whole industry kind of gets in there. It's a big community and it's fun, but it's got some wacky scoring. And I'm going to have him probably on the show, too. And we'll talk about that as we get closer to it. But let's also talk a little bit about some of these guys, too, ADP-wise, where there's some, again, opportunity. Are these guys perfect? No, that's why they're going at the ADP they're going. But I think with football and baseball and any fantasy sport, you're always looking for opportunity. And let's start with James Conner, because there's not a lot of guys who are working in an offense that has the potential of the Pittsburgh Steelers. There's not a lot of guys, you can look back, that have a season with 973 rushing yards and 12 touchdowns under their belt. And I understand James Conner has a lot of you know, games missed and some injury issues. This is also his contract year coming up. And right now, he's going 51 overall, RB21, which means he is basically the very tail end of RB2 in your regular old 12-team league. And I think when you're looking for value later on, I think there's upside there with James Conner. There is obviously a ton of risk. However, going at RB21, that says to me that if you took some RBs early, there's even an opportunity for you to get this guy as a flex or a third running back, depending on how aggressive you are in the market. So when I tell you he's going RB21 overall, is that something where you look at the offense, you look at the track record, you look at the risk, and you think all the things align for opportunity to draft this guy? Or is it a stay away because of all those things in the mix together?
1: Yeah, I'm just surprised that you would bring him up as a, as an undervalued player. I, I, I don't think that I've ever heard you say anything positive, no offense, but anything no. positive about this
0: guy, ever. It's only until it suits me. And I think this is it. It suits me now. RB 21, now I'm listening. Because I think at RB 14, or last year, RB 7, the risk was way too high. And turn out you know obviously Roethlisberger getting hurt changed that but he got hurt he I, got I hurt, think that which...
1: he did but but again the, the, uh, I, I think probably the Steelers realized that the workload can only be on a pitch count with him uh, mm. but with, but still puts him listen again Todd Gurley was an RB2 and he was a disaster all last year and so was Freeman and he was a disaster too so it's not unrealistic to think that he can't be I know they drafted a running back I'm still a fan of Benny Snell until Benny Snell is done I'm still going to predict that Benny Snell is going to be the number one guy there eventually. I don't know when. The reality is that no matter what happens to Connor, still going to be the best pass catching back on Pittsburgh. And yeah. As long as that's the case in a PPR format, I would agree. If there's no a non-PPR, I don't know that I would feel the same way. But he's going to be the best pass blocker. He's going to be the best pass catcher. So every third down, he's going to be on that field. And I'm probably going to guess more than half of the first downs too. So he's still probably looking about 20 touches a
0: game there's potential for him to be your third running back and everything Craig said is true. And in PPR leagues, I'd be on him on same thing. Standard. I'm a little bit more gun shy there. I'm a little bit more concerned and with good reason too. I mean, he's been hurt even in the good season he had. He was also hurt that year too. And it's something to understand. Next on this list is Matthew Stafford going at 96 overall QB 13. So he's right past that group of QB ones. So if you miss out on the top group of QBs, right, that elite tier of guys, there's something to be said for waiting, because there's a large group of the Roethlisberger, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady group that's, you know, a little bit older. But if you look at some of the the stats last year, far more aggressive down the field. Uh, you're looking at a guy who I, I think last year, too, that uh, he was making a certain effort to throw the ball down the field more. And on top of that, you know. I think with Kenny Galladay's emergence there, you have a true number one wide receiver, which you haven't had there for a while. You have more help with the running game to kind of offset predictability. So all of a sudden, to me, Stafford becomes an incredible value or at least a tandem quarterback in single quarterback leagues. And then in Superflex, maybe one of the better values on the board when everybody else is taking Aaron Rodgers. Statistically speaking, Matthew Stafford was better last year.
1: Yeah, I I probably would not agree with this one, and and I'll explain why. It just kind of depends on on how good you are at the waiver wire, I think, because my big concern now with Stafford here at this point, beside the fact of his age is the fact that he has a bad back. And to me, that's the beginning of the end of a player in professional sports. The other part of this too that would bother me, especially in that super flex format, as you mentioned, is that I think that you're probably at some point gonna have to roster an extra quarterback. Mm -hmm. Why do I say that? Because Stafford went into almost every game questionable last year to the point where you didn't know if he was gonna play right up until game time. Um, for me, I, I mean, I have the time. I'm doing a show on fantasy. I'm very well engaged and paying attention to fantasy. But for the average person, I don't know that they want to wait until 12:58 to see if Matthew Stafford is going to play. Uh, this is not a prediction; it is a guess. My guess is that that injuries are still to come with Stafford, so I'm going to just uh, have to disagree on this one, and and I'm going to stay away from Stafford this year.
0: All right, fair enough. This is another guy too, who, again, it's always about value, right? That's what we're trying to look at. We're trying to see the value of where players are, and I think. A.J. Green's value has hit rock bottom. and It I'm is at the bottom. I'm listening that. right now. He is number uh, wide receiver 28 on this board. So he is going as a wide receiver three. And there's not a whole lot of wide receiver threes that have had wide receiver one seasons. He's also got a contract year coming up here. So basically you're set up there for him to have a whole season off where he didn't play. Granted, it was injury, but we all know he was healthy enough to play towards the end. Everybody basically said, why don't you just sit out? He said, yeah, I think that's a good idea for me, too. Everybody sits out, and now he's in the spot with Joe Burrow. Now there's a lot of unknowns there. So the unknown suppresses value. The injury suppresses value. However, he's still 31 years old. He's not ancient by standards in the NFL. I think there's one big season left potentially for A.J. Green, and I think at 63rd overall, wide receiver 28. I see a lot of upside there, where you can kind of target a bunch of high-end wide receiver twos and some mid-range number threes, and collectively play them specifically in certain matchups where you can maximize them. And I kind of look at AJ Green as one of those guys. Now, are you done with AJ Green because of the injuries the last few years, or no, do you see an no? No, I,
1: I, I, I think there is one. I think that it's, it's a fair assessment in terms of ADP if he ends up back on Cincinnati. I think it could skyrocket if he ends up with Green Bay or Indianapolis, or or another team, potentially, that just has somebody that can throw the ball. Um, that's not to say that Burrow can't, but it is a rookie. I'm a little uncertain about their offensive line. They could have a running back sitting out, too. I don't know. I, I don't think he wants to be back in Cincinnati, so it would make me wonder after a couple of games if, if the stat lines don't look good and the Bengals are 0-2. I mean, look, he was willing to sit out all of last year, too, so... I think rock bottom is fair because of his situation. But mm-hmm. man, if they were to get him out of there and well, get him with Aaron Rodgers, I mean, I mean, and, and, hey, and, early, and this is
0: pluses and minuses of early drafts, right? Sometimes you get opportunity if you see it. That's the guy at that, risk.
1: at that Yeah. And that's a guy in a best mm-hmm. ball uh, that I would take a shot.
0: All right, one more here. We'll try to squeeze this one in. It's one of my favorite receivers this year. It's Calvin Ridley, who I think is ready to go from a wide receiver two in fantasy to a wide receiver one. I think he has the potential to crack that top ten. Nobody threw the ball more than the Falcons last year. 684 attempts. Uh, I don't see that changing all that much this year. The depth of target was there. His his ability after, you know, when you saw Austin Hooper not around in those games where he was hurt, you saw Ridley get more. You saw when Sanu left, how that number went up there. And all of a sudden, the one-off Ridley games became a little bit more consistent Ridley games. And I think this is a guy who's ready to explode in 2020. And just like Godwin last year was my guy, quote-unquote, that I drafted everywhere— I think this year Ridley will be that same guy, same price, wide receiver 17. It's eerily similar to Godwin last year. And I think Ridley, and same situation, had a guy, quote, better in front of him. So Ridley, for me, is that next guy this year who's ready to become like Godwin was last year.
1: You know, I I think it may require Julio missing games in order for him to be a Godwin but I certainly think that there's there's very solid wide receiver two value there with him, um, I think. and and again, my reasoning is also partially because I don't think the Falcons are gonna be able to run the ball at all. Uh, I don't think that you can think that Ridley's going to have a big year with Gurley having a big year because then because I think the Falcons would focus more on the running game, which they did not last year, especially after Freeman went down. Uh, you know, Brian Hill had that one game. I thought that he'd be good and and that didn't turn out either. I think Falcons have to run the ball in order for this to be. Uh, ineffective for it to be effective they just have to be who they have been the last couple of years so i tend to agree with you on that subject as well we'll be back with more nfl discussion also the future of some of the major league baseball draftees from a fantasy perspective we'll hit on that as well it's monday we're back on fantasy sports today right after this
2: SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. okay
1: hey, welcome back. The NFL announced yesterday that it would pledge $250 million over the next 10 years. Help fight systematic racism, and that's certainly a great sign coming from the league. Welcome back. Fantasy Sports Today. Craig Mish, Joe Pia here with you on this Monday, and uh, kind of ironic here that the one thing that the NFL didn't want their players doing for two or three years is what it looks like they're all going to be doing in 2020, and the league is supporting it. it it's just a, a wild world we live in, Joe. <laughs> That, that this was a topic on all of our radio shows and yeah. TV shows and Colin Kaepernick and and now the NFL is saying, oh, you know what? The one thing I'll give Roger Goodell credit for is last week he came out and said, hey, we made a big mistake. We didn't, we didn't support this when we needed to. And every week before the Dolphins would play, the Dolphins people who were covering the games would say Albert Wilson and Kenny Stills are taking a knee. You know, it's like. And people were just so sick of hearing about it and they thought, mm-hmm. oh, it's like a joke. And it, and it was a real thing and it was it was worth doing. And Eric Reid and Kaepernick and all the players that supported it. Um, it's interesting that I think that, uh, you know, I don't know if Colin Kaepernick will ever get another shot in the NFL again, but he certainly will be looked back at someone who was way ahead of his time in terms of what needed to happen in this country.
0: He was, and imperfect. Like, you know, I think some people took some shots at him yeah, like yeah, you know, that's a whole thing. It's you know, just because somebody's message about wanting to stand up for something, you know that that can be correct, and that person can still be flawed in many ways. And I think it was trying to separate those two things where people were struggling so much. And I also I want to point out, too that, you know, we've had some incredible moments here with law enforcement over the last, you know, few weeks here. Some incredible things have happened. And and uh, you and I both know, between our listeners and our readers and our fans of the show, too, we know some outstanding individuals in law enforcement. And this is, again, a, a bigger idea here. This is something else here to understand that this is a reality. And it's been a reality in these communities for far too long and there's got to be a better way to do things, and there's got to be a better way we're all on the same page about it. And you talk about the difference uh, you know, of, of what two years or three years can make here. The NFL, $250 million over the next 10 years, that is, a, that is a lot of money. And I thought that the NFL can't spend it. Of course they can. They're the NFL. But still, that is a lot of money, and that is a huge commitment. And I give Goodell a lot of credit for going out there and saying, hey, we, we missed the point here. And I think that's what was so frustrating for a lot of people. They were trying to say, like, it's we love this country. We want this country to do a better job. And we're trying to bring awareness. We're not trying to disrespect this country. We're trying to, again, advance an agenda of understanding that this country has improvements that we can make on it. And that's that's the beautiful thing about this country. It's like, you can say whatever you want. It's freedom of speech. And I think that that is what we're based on. And as long as that's what we're based on, you have a choice to listen or not. And that's fair too. And I think what people were trying to do was be heard and they weren't being heard. And I think everyone's being heard now. And it's awful that it comes to situations where life and death uh, are on your doorstep and that's when you finally get heard. It's it's sort of like the domestic abuse things that were going on in the NFL too. Until we had video of the Ray Rice incident, that did not move very forward. You recall that people were getting a two game suspension here or something like that. And all that of a sudden. That's a
1: watershed we had- moment. Yep.
0: And, and why are these watershed moments happening? Because we have them on tape. It's and true. because it's one thing to say to somebody, these things happen. It's another thing to watch them happen and to see it. And and when you process that as a human being, it goes from being hypothetical to real. And I think when things cross over that line, they become real. Man, that's when people start enacting change. And I think that's great. And, and I see a lot of these individual athletes out there, too. Baker Mayfield had a statement uh, out there, obviously, that – Everybody's so upset about my comments. I understand the reasoning behind kneeling in the first place. Uh, Nate and Cap came to an agreement that kneeling was the most respectful way to support the military and while also standing up for equality. And I think that's what it is. It's like, you know, we're standing up for our country. We want to be part of this country. We want to be not better than, we want to be equal. And that's good. That's what they're supposed to be. And I give Baker Mayfield. I give J.J. Watt, who uh, had an incredible tweet this weekend as well, where someone said, I'm pretty sure that J.J. Watt Ah, uh, won't be taking right. a knee, to which JJ. Watt retweeted and said, "A, don't speak for me." And B, if you still think it's about disrespecting our flag or our military, you clearly have not been listening. And that's the whole point. And I think that's what everybody was trying to get across And the I know I was and a lot of other people. And I think finally, I would say, maybe maybe I'm being naive that we've crossed that first initial hurdle of understanding the difference between those two. Do you think that we've gotten past that? And do you think now the way collectively it seems to be this groundswell of support with all the players, black, white, and other, that we all kind of are in this thing together and this brotherhood of sports in a way is kind of transcending and helping elevate this moment. Because I feel like this brotherhood of sports and sisterhood of sports is a huge piece of this puzzle because this is one of the few places where all of us come together is for sports, to watch sports, to play sports. And that is enormous in this day and age.
1: I hope so. And, you know, the positivity in me wants to believe that that's going to happen. Unfortunately, there's still people posting videos of of random people, uh, you know, of of hatred and racism. And I don't know that that's ever going to fully end in the country. But I think that the professional sports leagues have an obligation because they are at the forefront of what we're seeing every day to make sure that they do the right thing and they represent it and they act accordingly with that. Um, the one thing that I would say in the NFL in particular that could really um, separate themselves, and I don't know that this will ever happen, but it would be the idea. And, and look, I understand That Colin Kaepernick was very clearly uh, blackballed from the NFL and was paid as much, too, in a settlement of which I believe he can't discuss or there's some sort of agreement where they can't talk about it, uh, was paid a handsome amount of money. Um, What that was or how that affects him in the future, I'm not really sure. But the idea that Kaepernick would get signed by a team at this point, even if, uh, for all intents and purposes, it was essentially just to go through a training camp and a preseason um, I know that maybe that wouldn't necessarily be the message that everybody wants in terms of just you know, as as a figurehead just to be back. Uh, but I do I would like to see that. I would like. It's to an see opportunity,
0: him, right? Don't you think? I, I, I think point? a lot of awareness
1: yeah. would come to it, and it would show that the league, which had its issues in the past, instead of just throwing money at this problem, which is what they're doing because they have the money here. Oh, take, we're sorry. Take two hundred and fifty million dollars. We're sorry though. Yeah, that's, not, it, it, that's part of it. I would like to see a team sign the guy, let him play in the preseason. There's only going to be a couple games. See if he still can help a team in the NFL as a backup quarterback. I always thought that, at the very least, he could be a backup quarterback in the league. I mean, he was he was really good in the Super Bowl. I mean, I, I think he could probably be a starter, too. Unfortunately, at this stage, with not playing for a few years, I can't sit here and say objectively that I think that he could be a starter in the NFL but I've seen the disaster of the backup quarterbacks in the NFL right now. You cannot tell me that he couldn't have been a second or even third stringer making a million dollars for the next ten years, just sitting on a bench for somebody. Charlie Whitehurst did it. Kaepernick is far more talented than Charlie Whitehurst ever was. No disrespect to Charlie Whitehurst. Um, that's something that I would like to see happen. I would like to to make that would be the full circle mm-hmm. of this coming together. You know, we're making the commitment. We're showing that this guy got screwed over and now look at our league. We're, we're supporting financially. We're supporting uh, the, the, you know, off the field and everything that happens in this country. We're making all these kinds of strides. We're allowing our players to do what they should have been allowed to do a couple of years ago. And then the one who started it all, we're giving him an opportunity as well. That's what I I think.
0: Opportunity is the key word. It's not a job. It's an opportunity for a job. And I think that's what, and that's, and I think that's what was so stunning is how many quarterbacks make it to the Super Bowl. Have a lead in the Super Bowl at one point, and then can't find a job two years later. That that's a that's a very weird scenario, and, and yeah, and, and, and it, was wrong, it was the wrong
1: tact for the NFL, and it was the wrong tact mm-hmm. for the teams. But you look back, and you're an NFL general manager with everything that was going on at the time. And you look at it, and you and and you are your job is on the line. You're thinking selfishly. You're like, do I want to bring this guy in and have this going on? Right. Like, it's, do, it's do I right. want to do this? Do I yeah. want this attention? It was the right thing to do at the time. It would have brought more awareness at the time, but no general manager is thinking anything else except for how do I keep my job? This job, guys get fired a year or two years in. I have a chance to set my family up for life. Right? Do I do I try and help social injustice? Of course you do, but no, 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 it's going to cost me my job if this if it turns out to be a failure. I don't want this kind of attention. And um, and they didn't do it. And who no. knows what went on behind the scenes? I don't know that we ever will know because mm-hmm. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I hope I'm not speaking incorrectly, that as part of the settlement, nothing is ever going to come out about what was discussed. We've never heard anything, and I believe it is sealed. Maybe one day we will. Uh, but I think as part of the financial agreement, we will not.
0: So, no, and And I would also say, too, when you look at that position as a whole... I would say predominantly you would agree with me that most backup quarterbacks in the NFL are of a Caucasian descent. And that's also a thing. It's a stigma that followed around that position for a very long time, too, of the black quarterback, something that Warren Moon had to overcome and Randall Cunningham and many others before them uh, on different levels of college football and professional football. And that was the other thing that was stunning, too. And you've seen other people who get reinstated to the NFL who— have criminal records and horrible things that they have done and the suspension and, Oh, they're back. Well, they're, that's okay. Because he plays this position and that it's, you know what, well, we really need him or, or what have you. And you're right. Nobody stuck their neck out. And I think you make a good point. Just if, if he, you feel like the workout that he gave last year deserves an opportunity somewhere, then have him at a camp and give him an opportunity. Whether he gets a job or not, that can inconsequential. I think what he was fighting for always last few years was just give me an opportunity. Let me prove myself. And I think that's what we all want. And Do you that, think it happens? No. I don't yeah. because of the I don't, agreement I don't, they have. I don't,
1: I don't think so now. either, but it's unfortunate because you know what? Some NFL team missed out on a big opportunity uh, to for us to look back now and say, wow, that was the one team. I think
0: because of the agreement, it doesn't happen. I think whatever that is, everybody's just kind of – it must, I mean, maybe
1: it, I'm wrong. It, must be, it still makes no sense to this day. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Know. You
0: know what? And, and then you look at another story too, like the Zay Zay Jones story from this weekend, where he was out and he, a woman from Minnesota came up to him and gave him a hug and said, "I'm from Minnesota. I want you to understand that, you know, that doesn't represent me and all these things." And he said he had this moment. He's like, "I should be social distancing," but this woman came out to me and she was in tears and and I hugged her and we hugged and she and it's like, you know, some beautiful moments going on here with people and. And I think that's what we should all be looking at. It's like, hey, look, progress is good. Quality is good. Let's all let's all let's all win and lose on our merits. And let's get to that point. I think that's what we're working towards. It's like we're all getting opportunities based on our merits and we live and die and win and lose on our merits. And I think that is exactly where we should be headed. Not more equality, just equality. <laughs>
1: Hopefully we're headed in that direction. Small steps, if uh, if anything, at this point we got a long way to go. Uh, we got about 15 minutes to go here on this show. Coming up next, in case you guys are big baseball fans, still big fantasy baseball fans, the first year player draft was held last week. There are a handful of players that some are predicting could make their major league debut as soon as 2021. And if the way that this draft went down was any indication, a lot of college kids who are almost Major League ready, could potentially make their debut pretty soon. So stay tuned. Joe and I will each go through our five favorite players, not in the draft, but favorite players to get to the big leagues on the fast track. We'll have that next right here on Fantasy Sports Today. Don't go away. The first-year Major League Baseball player June draft wrapped up last week. Of course, yesterday, we saw around the league teams starting to sign some undrafted free agents, and potentially those players could end up being Major League Baseball players as well. Remember, there were only five rounds of the Major League Baseball June draft, and of course, uh, there's still going to be Single a double A, and Triple A. so these teams are going to need to be filled with players, maybe not as many as there were in the past, but come next season— There's no doubt that each team is going to have at least a handful of players uh, that could potentially get to the big leagues. And and as far as the undrafted number is concerned, uh, every team can certainly handle it differently. Remember, a lot of teams ended up cutting minor leaguers and they could just be replaced with these uh, kids who were signed for $20,000 yesterday and even on to this week. But for the most part, you're probably only looking at about five or 10 players per each team doing it, which essentially tells you. What the June draft is going to look like next year, somewhere between probably 10 and 20 rounds, as opposed to the 50 that it was in the past. Now, in the draft, we saw an interesting dynamic play out, especially in that first round and into the second, Joe, where Mm -hmm. we didn't have a lot of high school players get taken. Uh, A lot of the scouting and on the development side for Major League Baseball teams was done on the collegiate level. A lot easier to get a feel for what these kids could be in the near future as opposed to two, three years down the line. And I think that it speaks to what some of the teams did, the teams that took high school players probably in better shape. They have major league players right now. They can wait a little bit. And the teams that are sort of, as you could see, especially at the top on the rebuild, uh, you know, Kansas City, Detroit, Miami, uh, you know, these teams have been losing for a while, and they can't lose for another three, three, four more years. They got to, like, get that rebuild going a little bit, and they went in the direction of college. So, Uh, Each of us are going to have our top five players that we think could get to the big leagues on the fast track. And it is fantasy and dynasty leagues, Joe. It's all about having that opportunity and having those stats start to accrue. And we're going to kind of go through a few names here on both of our lists. So we'd like to do that coming up pretty soon.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that you're going to see even a stronger trend next year with even more college players. I know they set a record for most college players selected to start a draft this past year. It's going to be probably even more next year, and that's because more of the talent, like you said, is going to be back into the college pool, and those people are taking those commitments that they had out of high school to go into college, and it's about time that MLB scouting has understood it's, yeah, it's great to get that raw high school talent. Yeah, you want to make sure you get them and get them in your organization, but you know what? A lot can happen between the ages of 18 and 21, and I think they're starting to understand that the investment in the 18-year-old is not nearly as sound as the investment in the 21-year-old who's coming out of college and understanding that those three years, so much can happen to physical health, performance, all these things, and you're taking a risk with your own money as an organization, not to mention now these college kids who are getting better instruction in college level are coming in and having quicker success, going through your system faster, and then opening more slots for the next guy and helping your major league club at that level. And I think that what we're finally seeing is scouting is catching up with reality of where baseball is in this country. And baseball is just with the Dominican and Puerto Rican academies, baseball is with college baseball. That's where this this group is coming from. It's not like trying to find that 17-year-old kid in you know some West Texas high school anymore. It's who's the who's the guy at Vanderbilt? <laughs> who, who's the guy at, at Arizona State? Who's who's the guy who is showing up there and showing you he's ready and polished enough to help us sooner? And we're gonna spend amount of money on and get a better return on that money and that's what's happening is they're realizing that all the tommy john surgeries these pitchers and all these other things the college pitchers are a far better investment than the high school pitchers and they have been for a decade but there was that maybe at the very least i would say pressure to make sure that you got that talent you had them in the organization but you know what so many variables during that time and so many potential negatives, too, where they're finally smartening up and saying, why are we doing this to ourselves? Let's take this guy. He is more major league ready. This is a better investment. He's going to get there quicker. He's going to pay off. And if he gets hurt, it's again, it's a, it's a shorter risk in terms of, oh, he's 21. You know, it's not an 18 year old kid where, you know, you don't know where his body is and how he's going to react when he's 19 as opposed to 22 and on.
1: All right, so with that, let's take a look at my top five players that could potentially get to the big leagues the fastest. Now, remember, I wouldn't include any high school players on here because odds are they're going to have to spend significantly <laughs> more time in the minors than they uh, yeah. before they get to the majors. But but again, you know, Veen could be a player that could come up sooner than a college kid. It just depends on the team and the organization. But for me, here is my brief list. Uh, Torkelson, of course, is first. He's going to be first on Joe's list too. He's the first overall pick in the draft immediately after they took him, they had him as a third baseman. They have an opening there. We're going to see him, I think in 2021 at the very least, at the end of the season, he's coming soon. Uh, Max Meyer for the Marlins. I have second. Uh, I, I believe that there's also a very clear path to the big leagues for this kid as well. He pitched at a very high level in college. He throws very hard. I could see him absolutely being part of the Marlins rotation in 2022. Uh, I think he will need some pitching time in 2021, but I think he could be the first pitcher that ends up in the big leagues. Very possible there. Uh, Brewers outfield is super thin and uh, they didn't make a lot of moves at all this offseason to sort of shore it up either. And you got Braun retiring um, Look, there. You got Kane there. He's getting up in age two, two years from now, maybe less. Garrett Mitchell from UCLA is going to be on the Brewers and he's going to be playing every day for that team. They took him in the first round um, provided that they get him signed. I know I believe he's a Scott Boris client, so that, you know, is is going to play a factor into it, too. But Mitchell is someone that I don't think he's the best player in the draft, but I do think that we're going to see him sooner than later. Uh, Reed Detmers for the Angels. The Angels, another team that has had a really hard time keeping their pitchers on the field and keeping them healthy. And they're very thin at that position as well. Uh, high-level kid coming out of the minor leagues. I would expect to see Detmers... Probably not in 2021, but it's not something that I would rule out either. It all depends on what kind of development they have him go through over the next couple of months. And then, uh, yeah, another pitcher here, too, Bryce Jarvis for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Diamondbacks actually have a pretty good rotation set. I don't know what it's going to look like, though, after Zach Gallon in two years from now. Uh, Bumgarner uh, signed his contract. How long will he play that thing out? Will Robbie Ray still be there in a couple of years? I think Jarvis fits nicely into that rotation. I, I-, I tend to like to go with position players more than pitchers but uh, in this case uh, i did go with pitchers and i know one of the pitchers that you have on the list was taken by the royals i just think with the royals being so far away there's no reason to uh rush their best pick so i kind of have him outside of the top five but go ahead and uh, let's take a look well
0: it's funny because that's the same way i feel about max meyer too because i think that's a guy that really needs to build innings more too because you look at the track record way in college you know, I he was converted reliever at one point in time, so it's like, all right, how True. much? Are we I be- think
1: the Marlins are under more pressure than the Royals Shh. to start winning
0: fast. They might be, but my concern only again, this is it's not talent with Meyer; it's stamina and understanding what they've done the last few years in terms of setting guys' expectations. Who have the similar kind of path of okay, this year it's going to be eighty innings, next year it's going to be one hundred and ten, and then you know how that incremental rise. And with no baseball this year and God knows what's happening next year, you know, that is my only concern with him just because he is a little bit further behind than Asa Lacey, who's my number two. Torkelson's my number one as well. Spoiler alert. uh, Gosh, they need things in the right the worst way. They really do. You know, their
1: pitching is fine. They've got Manning and Mize and and, and young pitchers coming up and uh, Scruble also. But Mm -hmm. they have no hitting,
0: man. They don't.
1: their their minor league system is just like
0: it's it's getting it last two years it's getting guy. better uh it's getting better the last two years but still they're behind the Riley pitchers Green you're is a high school kid right exactly but Riley Green had a pretty good season last year so right. i think so i think you're looking at a guy who's okay maybe he's a little faster track than we thought out of a high school kid that's fantastic but yeah. Torkelson's definitely got to get there sooner than later and i think he's going to be fine there i don't know if he's going to hit 30 home runs but i think he's going to make enough contact that you're you know you think he can be a starter and everyday player. And I think for the tiger fans, you need to start showing him a little of that. Uh, Lacey for me is a guy who I think, you know, kind of the similar path. I think there's opportunity and need. And I'm looking at that Royals team. And it's funny because the top of that order is not bad. I mean, you've got Whit Merrifield and Solaire and Hunter Dozier, and you've got some talent there at the top. It's just a matter of the, you look at the pitching staff and it's, it's not good. And I think Lacey is very polished. And I think he's ready to, Potentially even start at high A when he starts pitching, go through double A in one season. If he looks great in double A, there's a chance he would start the following year in 2022 than in triple A. And if he's good there, then you'll see him midway through the season, which is a pretty fast path. And again, innings-wise, he's a little bit further along than Meyer in his career. Detmers, you and I agree on. I think that's another guy that, again, need for the Angels. I think he could help them now. I think he could also... Even help them out of the bullpen if they wanted to rush him that way, and then kind of, you know, That's work him. Also, that
1: has to win very soon. So there's, uh, no, there's no waiting. It's ridiculous at this point with that.
0: I would agree with that. Uh, number four for me is on the Pirates, who had a regime change, and I think Nick Gonzalez is a really good person to build that new regime off of. I I'm just super impressed with him. All the footage I watch of him, there's nobody who has faster hands to the baseball than him. I mean, he is just explosive. He makes really hard, quick contact. Uh, I was very impressed with him. I think his kind of game is the kind of game with a lot of like a guy who's going to hit for a high average, a guy who's going to be on base a lot that really plays well into a guy who could rocket through kind of like Keston Hira did where you, you get him in there and he's like, geez, he's hitting 400 at double A. We got to get this, get out of here. Like there's nothing for him to learn. I think he could be that kind of a guy. And then last one for me is Austin Martin with the Jays, because I think the Jays are going to get real aggressive real fast. They went out there and they spent money on Ryu. They're looking at these young kids, and I think they have a window with these young players before we start to get into arbitration and some other things where they're going to be super aggressive. It's going to be a young team. Austin Martin is a highly athletic kid who I think is going to pick up the major league game or professional game quickly. And to see how aggressive they've been with the BGOs and Vlads and Bichettes of the world, I think Martin's another one of these guys that they can be aggressive with. And I think they look at it as we can be one of these teams in this era where the Red Sox are kind of figuring things out and, you know, the Yankees are the Yankees, but they've got some issues too, that maybe, just maybe, these Blue Jays can sneak in there as this hot young team and show you a little something because they've got some pitching on the way as well. So I'm looking at Austin Martin as a potential guy who could get there sooner than later too. Yeah, I
1: mean, I think four of the five guys that you have listed, I, I, I do agree with. Gonzalez, I just don't. I just think that the Pirates... Are in the first year of a multi-year uh, step back at this point, and I think that they're going to play the money game with all of their kids. Uh, Brian Hayes has probably been ready for a year already, and they still have him in the minors. Uh, I would predict they'll trade Josh Bell. Just think the Pirates are headed headed down, you know, hundred loss land for the next few years, and I, and I, I would think be. You might be right. I, I think I'd be. <laughs> I, I think I'd be worried that in a dynasty league that they would play that game. Um, with Gonzalez, and I, I'm not he doubting. Might force the their there. hand.
0: Yeah, I think he might force their hand because I think eventually at the gate, you need somebody. You need somebody to say, "Hey, look, there's Brian Hayes, or there's Nick Gonzalez." I don't know. <laughs> I, you're not wrong. If he was a pitcher, a I'd be I'd be terrified as a pitcher. But as an everyday player, I think those are the guys they're more willing Maybe. to push a little bit. And plus, he plays multiple spots in the middle infield too. He could be a source he could be a second baseman. I think he's a second baseman personally, but. I don't know. I think he's going to just force their hand, like Keston here, forced the uh, the Milwaukee Brewers. They were
1: good, though. They were. They were good.
0: good. You're absolutely right. Yeah. I'm, yeah.
1: I'm a little. That's. I just have a little bit of a concern no, there. It's fair. It's and I think. Debate. I think the other. I think the other players are. Uh, we'll see sooner than later for sure. All right. Uh, that will do it for the show. Hope you guys have a great Monday. Make sure you stay on the grid the rest of the day. Scott Farrell coming up later, and uh, he's coast to coast. Got some great guests lined up for you today. Joe and I will be back tomorrow at 11 a.m. Eastern going through the latest in baseball and everything else happening in sports. Brett, Danny, and Ryan, thank you guys for the job that you do every day here on this show. For Joe Pizapia, I'm Craig Mish. Have a great day. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 11. See ya.